No church is perfect, not even your beloved Sunrise Community Church. I know it's hard, it may be hard to believe that. Uh, and I'll be the first guy to point out some of our weaknesses. In fact, I'll do it right now. Two, two of our major weaknesses of the church, the, the first one might be a perceived weakness, and that is our corporate pursuit of God the Holy Spirit. As a non-denominational church, with people from at least a dozen different nations and twice as many worship styles represented, some of you are very content focusing on Jesus only. Like, there are already, there are a lot of emotions and hand-raising already, all right? Let's just focus on Jesus. And there's some of you who feel like we have, at Sunrise, a, a pretty balanced view on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. That we love Him, we love seeing Him produce fruit in people's lives. We love seeing Him at work in our lives, making us more like Jesus. We love seeing Him work and answer our prayers powerfully, to fill us with joy, to give us words and scriptures to share with others. And there are others who wish we would focus more on the Holy Spirit, especially doing certain signs and wonders among us, all of which is fair. And we pray about this. As a leadership, we pray about this. We think about these things all the time. The other weakness about which I think we can all agree is our corporate fellowship. I'm not talking about community groups. And I'm not talking about those groups of of friends that form through an intersection of of being at church, but also work life, or, or being at church, but social life, or being at church and having kids of a similar age, and that intersects, and we have these little thin groups we kind of roam with and do life with. I'm talking about many of us who come on Sunday mornings, and though otherwise singing your hearts out and listening intently to the Word of God, being fed by His Word, we find the experience lonely. We wonder when we walk in, who am I going to sit with? Is anybody going to talk with me? And you find the the time of greeting, very painful. That, that little two-minute moment we all just experienced, right, where you stand and you greet someone. And, and you're not sure how much to say. And, and you don't want to stop talking, right? Because you don't want to be that person who sits down and appears unfriendly. <laughs> or, or worse, you sit down and everybody kind of pities you. Like, oh, no, that person's probably feeling alone. I should probably talk to them. Right? You don't want to be that person. After the service, or when the service is getting close to end, you debate, should, should I try to make a connection, or should I just get the heck out of here? <laughs> or should I just make the sprint towards my vehicle and roll out at 25 miles per hour? <laughs> right? Some of us grew up in churches where we knew everybody's name. We knew the, the names of all the adults and all the other kids, and we missed that. And, and though we have had church-wide opportunities and, and events church-wide, events like baptisms and potlucks and family movie and game nights, they've all been pretty much duds in terms of attendance. There there hasn't been a corporate sense. There's been a small group sense of those sorts of events. So, So the time where most of us are gathered together is Sunday mornings for this corporate worship. So the question is, how can we as a church and individually make the most of these precious Sundays? How might we maximize our Sunday connection both with God and with one another? That's the question we're going to ask on Sundays in June. 
How can we maximize this time we have together? We're going to do so practically as we think about our Sunday gatherings. What needs to happen in us, for example, before we walk in through those doors? How can we maximize our growth in Christ between the hours of 10 and 11.30-ish? In what ways does God want us to connect with others afterwards, right? Because church doesn't necessarily just end when I give the benediction and say, see you next week. And then finally, like, how can we leave church well in a way that glorifies God and edifies other people? So those are the questions we'll be examined. And we're going to start from the beginning with this first message entitled, Before Walking In. Walking through those doors in the back may seem pretty simple, Except that none of us walk through those doors, do we, as a clean slate. Some of us carry with us the weight of this being our first time here. Will I know anyone? Will anyone talk with me? Will I have to leave early because I'm so uncomfortable? Some of us carry with us the weight of anxiety because of bad church experiences. Or, or, Or the weight of unmet expectations because of disappointment with churches, even our church, this church. Some of us carry with us the weight of personal disappointment because you haven't been here for a month or maybe three and even wonder to yourself, should I really show up? Like, I kind of feel a little embarrassed. People might look at me funny. I don't want to see Pastor Ryan. Maybe he'll ask me, like, hey, it's so good to see you. Maybe maybe that will happen. I I hate doing that. (laughs) And I hate walking into grocery stores and people feel like, oh, I'm so sorry. I feel so guilty. I haven't seen, been in church in a long time. Please, if you ever see me in the grocery store, don't do that. I just love to see you. I really do. All right. So that's a side note. Uh, some of us carry the weight of an all-too-fresh Sunday morning argument. Maybe even happened in the car on the way over here. That's usually where it happens on Sunday, right before we walk through those doors. And some of us carry actual weight. The, the pounds and ounces of, of children under the age of 12 right? Holding on to us, dragging us, even as they complain about being here sometimes. It's actual way. And no matter what weighs on you, we are so glad that you're here. No matter what shape you came in, we're so glad you came as you are. And I want that to be clear. We're so glad you're here. And yet, we all want to grow from that, right? We, we, we want to come here in whatever shape we're in. At the same time, we want to come in really good shape, ready and eager to hear what God has to say to us, right? We all want to grow past just coming here because we barely got here. And to that end, we want to begin this morning by asking the question then, what is it that, exactly that we're walking into? What are we walking into when we walk through those doors on a Sunday morning? And the reason I think we need to begin here, and not just with a bunch of practical suggestions on what we can do to make our Sunday experience better, is we've got to be convinced in our hearts that what happens on Sunday morning is magnificently different from the rest of the week. It's magnificently different than any experience we can have in any other place, even an experience with God. Even more magnificent than communing with God in nature, on the Mastic Trail, or diving off Smith Cove. As magnificent as those experiences are, nothing is like this. So what I want to do is show you from God's word the magnificent difference of the gathered church. So turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. If you don't know where Hebrews is, it's kind of towards the back of the Bible. 
Hebrews chapter 12. And if you're using one of the Bibles we've provided, it's on page 867. 867. The book of Hebrews is addressed, as you may have guessed from the title, Hebrews, Hebrew people who've decided to follow Jesus. Our author addresses this group. It's a group who, prior to Jesus, they found it very hard to encounter God. It was very complicated to encounter God. They had to become accustomed, and they had become accustomed to all these rituals, these sacrifices, these festivals, these memorized prayers required to worship and please the God of Israel. And many of them were tempted to return to sort of those old ways of doing things, ways they were accustomed to. It's a little bit like when you give your grandfather technology. The technology, for instance, of like TurboTax. And yet you still find him preparing his federal tax returns by hand. Or helping your aunt in purchasing and setting up a smartphone. And yet you find her with that old calendar, that old big calendar where she scribbled down important dates that are hardly legible. And then she wonders what she wrote on them, right? Or, or the father, you invite to Facebook, to Instagram, or to sort of cloud sharing. And yet you see that email in your inbox from him. And what does it have? 29 photo attachments on it, right? From his latest trip. And you're like, Dad, I, I don't want to open all these individually. <laughs> Even though there's an easier, more direct way The old familiar route is preferable. Why? Because we know exactly what to expect. And we feel a sense of, I'm in control. The Hebrews of this letter started to feel this way about their worship of God. I just, you know, if I just do it the old way, I know what to expect. I can be in control. I can manage God. Our author is exhorting them with all the reasons why Jesus is the better and more direct way to approach God. And what a God he is. Read with me Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 24, where our author describes to the Hebrews what they are walking into when they gather to worship Jesus together. Hebrews 12, 18 through 24. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels and festal gathering to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This is God's word. What are some words, some adjectives that come to mind when you think of Jesus? I asked this question of my kids this week, one night after we ate dinner. Words came to mind. They mentioned words like kind and humble, gentle, accepting, loving, gracious, warm. And then I read to our family this passage that we just read. 
It opens this passage with a few scenes from the Exodus, specifically when the leader of God's people, Moses, went to talk to God on Mount Sinai. And God's holy and perfect presence caused the very mountain on which he dwelled to be untouchable. Even by an animal who dared get near, a roaming calf, a cow, a goat, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, a trumpet sound, a voice whose words made the hearers beg, please stop God. So I asked my kids what comes to mind when they hear about Jesus in this passage. What words came to mind? Judge, evil defeater, terrifying, awesome. This is Jesus also. There's a picture in the first chapter of Revelation where the Apostle John envisions Jesus as someone with eyes flaming with fire, a voice like water crashing down, a sharp sword is coming out of his mouth. And yet, I think many of us relate to Jesus only as Jesus meek and mild. Only as Jesus who loves us, even if we don't even turn from sin. As buddy Jesus, who doesn't mind all our other loves. is even accommodating of all the things we love, sometimes more than him. I wonder if we also don't approach Sundays this way. How many of us honestly view the gathered church as like a supercharged social it's great to be together, and we get the Holy Spirit. Or, or as a club that gets together and does good deeds, like Rotary, though with God. That's what we do on Sunday. Or, or we think of church primarily as a place where people will accept me and welcome me no matter what. And church, hopefully, is those things and may be those things. But it's also something else. God's Word says it's much more. And these few verses summarize that a corporate gathering around Jesus is magnificently different. That's how I would describe it. What we read here, it is magnificently different to gather with one another to worship Jesus. Jesus is set apart as holy, as glorious, as awesome, a blazing fire, a trumpet, a voice like water coming crashing down. And so every time we come together on Sunday mornings, it's coming to a true power encounter with God. And so our author uses this Old Testament encounter with God on Mount Sinai to give us a picture of the magnificent difference of the gathered church. And he goes on to list more ways, more differences, five more differences to what we are doing here, even this morning. So I'm going to list those for us, okay? Number one, we read in verse 22, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You know, when King David first built a permanent place to worship God, he did so in a city called Jerusalem. And when his son Solomon finally got around to building that temple, he did so on a hill just north of Jerusalem, a hill that became known as Mount Zion. This would be the permanent place people gathered to worship God. So when you come to your permanent place, where people worship God, you are joining in something that existed long before you, but now includes you. How wonderful is that? You, you, you go back to the time of, of, of Jerusalem and Mount Zion, and David and Solomon and all the saints gathered there, and now it includes you. Quentin, Yannette, Craig, Thad, Joseph. It includes you. What a wonderful privilege. Every Sunday also, secondly, you come to a foretaste of heaven. 
It says here, the heavenly Jerusalem to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Our author probably has two scenes from the Old Testament in mind. First, it's in the book of Deuteronomy, 10,000 holy ones who attended God when he gave the law at Sinai. But there's another picture in the book of Daniel where Daniel witnessed thousands, it says thousands of thousands whom Daniel witnessed worshiping God in a vision. And now this is the reality for the church of Jesus Christ. Angels sing with us. Angels who are the most experienced worshipers of all time. Heaven's happiest partiers worship with us as we gather together. Number three, every Sunday you come to a gathered people of everlasting splendor. You gather with a people of everlasting splendor. And I don't just use those words like sort of these flowery words from a Hallmark card to just make us feel better about ourselves. Look at verse 23. And you come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Our author is talking about us. He's talking about us. He could have just as easily have said, you have come to a place where bumbling sinners made it here, bumbling people, stumbling people saved by grace who get together every Sunday and are usually 10 to 12 minutes late. Right? That would also be a pretty accurate picture of us together, right? But do, we, do you think of yourself or the person sitting next to you as, as a spirit of the righteous made perfect? There is something wonderful about the person sitting next to you who trusts Jesus. Something far more than we can even see. C.S. Lewis talked about this in his, his little sermon, a great little sermon called The Weight of Glory. And here's what he said. He said, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature. If you saw it now, you'd be strongly tempted to worship. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, Mary, snub, and exploit. Either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. He means either you're talking to people who still rest under the judgment of Jesus because they haven't yet trusted Jesus or people who've trusted Jesus and are so everlasting splendors. That's who you're sitting next to. What a privilege. Number four, one difference about Sundays, that every Sunday you gather with others around Jesus. It's around Jesus we gather. Look at verse 24, and you come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus is the mediator. That means he, he is the go-between or the center of a new kind of relationship. Not only a relationship with God the Father, but a re- new kind of relationship with one another. Think about it. During the week, what's at the center of your relationships? Likely work. You have a common workplace, a common job, likely desk proximity to someone else, a shared strata or shared cul-de-sac, depending on where you live, children of a similar age, and maybe common interests, similar sense of humor, common goals. These sorts of things are what bond people together all throughout our week. But on Sundays, Jesus is the center of everything we do. 
the center of every relationship. He is the reason for talking, for laughing, for encouraging, for growing. He is the reason. Finally, verse 24. Fifth and finally, verse 24. And you come to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So Abel, if you don't know this story, Abel was humanity's first death. And it was a death by violence, a death by shed blood. That's the blood our author is talking about here. His death was was terrible news for his father, Adam, for, for his mom, Eve, for his whole family. Just awful, tragic, terrible news. And for us, news of death and decay still dominate our our real headlines and our personal headlines. I mean, again yesterday, last night, we see a terrorist act, another terrorist act in England, another one. And we hear these things, and again, it breaks our hearts, and we see decay around us in different ways in our life and death around us in different ways in our life. And that's what we hear, and that's what we see. But every Sunday, we get news of a better death. Every Sunday, we come together and we get news of a better death. 1 Thessalonians 5.10 puts it this way, that Christ died so that we might live together with him. Christ died so we might live. His death means life for us. I was talking with a friend this week who was sharing why Sunday mornings matter so much to her. And she said that it's, it's because she gets to sort of, she put it this way, rest from the trouble of the world trouble of the world. She can rest in the trouble of the world and watch God hit the reset button to her life. She can rest. And that's what we do on Sundays. We, we just take this, te- we temporarily hide ourselves from news of death and decay. We put it to the side to again receive news of a better death that leads to life. And that's what we gather to do on Sundays, which make Sundays magnificently different. So you don't have to recall these five differences I listed. The point is to be overwhelmed by them. Overwhelmed by the reality that we're not just walking into rotary plus God. Walking into a place where we merely just want to be accepted. Although that's wonderful and we hope you are. But we're coming to a place, we're gathering around Jesus with a people of everlasting splendor. Hearing the best news ever. Constantly tasting a little bit of heaven every Sunday. And so the message in a nutshell is this, if you don't remember anything else. Sundays are magnificently different. So let's prepare accordingly. Sundays, and I hope you get this, it's it's magnificently different. So if that's true, and if you're convinced of that, let's prepare accordingly. That's ultimately where the author of Hebrews is leading us. If you skip down to the middle of verse 28, staying in chapter 12, look what he says. Thus... You know, therefore, because of all these things, because of the difference of God and gathering together around Jesus, thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and with awe. Do you hear that? Thus, that's the author's way of saying, okay, if it's true that Sundays are different, that gathering around with God's people around Jesus is different, what are we supposed to do about it? How can we prepare differently? How can we prepare for the magnificent difference that is Sunday? Let's talk about that. You know, we prepare for many things in life, don't we? Here's one way to think about it. When you prepare for a sport, what do you first do? You warm up. You prepare. Especially like in my age, I have to warm up or I'm not going to be playing sports for two or three days. When we have a presentation, 
what do we do? We review our notes, don't we? When we have a major exam, we study ahead of time. So what about Sundays? Before walking in on Sundays, hopefully we prepare our whole selves. Let me suggest three ways that we can prepare for Sundays. Number one, rethink Saturday. Our, our Saturday plans, our Saturday decisions. Consider going to bed at a normal hour. Some of you guys are, are, are late night owls, I get it. Make Friday your late night. Make Saturday your sleep-in day. That's good. I think that's sufficient. Like, I don't know about you, but as, as a younger man, when I would come into church after watching like a late night movie, or, or for some of you, maybe it's opening that front door at 2 a.m., when, when I'm in that state and coming in on Sunday morning, I'm just like, uh, hardly ready to receive something God might have to say to me. My heart is very dull. My mind is very dull. I'm not really ready for God. So preparing for Saturdays comes in that way. It comes in decisions. Decisions like maybe stopping after the second beer or the second glass of wine. You know? Not going to help me wake up and be prepared. Plan to get everything done on Saturday. Don't, don't try not to make Sundays, if it's truly magnificently different, your overflow day. Thinking to yourself, well, there's always Sunday morning if I need it. For parents of young children, get the diaper bag ready. Saturday night, I know that's hard. We've, we ha- we've had young kids. We've been through that stage. Getting the fruit snacks in, getting the sippy cup in there, all those things that go on. It's tough. I get it. It's having those conversations ahead of time, too, as young parents. Like, you know, hey, who's going to go up? and sit with little Jimmy if he goes crazy in the nursery. Right, is it your turn or my turn? Have that conversation that doesn't get you into conflict on Sunday morning. Take time on Saturday to pray for the friends you'd love to see show up on Sunday or the friends you've invited to show up on Sunday. What a great opportunity. Pray for your pastors. Pray for the worship team. Pray for those teaching children who are going to talk about Jesus and the church being magnificently different. Read the passage to be preached on Sunday morning. You know, we have it up on our media page, on our website. You can always check it out. It doesn't take more than a few seconds. Hop on there, see what it is. Let me read it ahead of time so I can be prepared to hear what God has to say to me. So that's number one. Rethink your Saturday. Number two, second suggestion, leave behind your counterfeit gods. Having encountered an awesome, awesome God, Moses, he came down from Mount Sinai. He walked down, and it says in verse 21, so terrifying was the sight. As he walked down, so terrifying was the sight, Moses said, I trembled with fear. So what could he possibly be so afraid of after meeting with the living God? Right? Like, what do you get afraid of after that? Well, he walked down, and he saw God's people had fashioned, had made a counterfeit God. They'd made a golden calf to worship. And that's what Moses found so terrifying. Idolatry is giving the bulk of your time, your energy, your affection, your thought to anything or anyone other than Jesus. That becomes our our functional God, doesn't it? I love you. I give my thought to you. I give my attention to you. Moses was so terrified knowing that such false worship might forever affect their true worship. One of my concerns on Sunday, for us, for me, is to to view that time as a time where God will fix all the damage done during the week. 
Like I can just live however I want during the week, and then God will fix it on Sundays. And if we spend our week giving the bulk of our time, thought, energy, affection towards things and persons not named Jesus, and we bring that into Sunday morning, I might say, God might say, these songs might say something you can't really hear, something you're unwilling to hear and refuse to hear, but that you so need to hear. Why? Because you don't want to give that up. And if you think I'm, I'm overreaching in saying this, maybe being a little over top, exaggerating a bit, see suggestion one. How did you respond to my suggestion of rethinking your Saturday? Because if, I'm, if you're like me, I love my Saturday. Saturday can be, often be like, ooh, this is me time. This is me time. Let me take it. I get that. Did you agree when I encourage you to rethink your Saturday? Or maybe you, you hedged, you resisted, you rationalized, well, well mine's a different case. It's because of our idols. The book of James, Jesus' brother, in that book, James says this, James one twenty one: get rid of all moral filth, get rid of the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. How do we apply that to Sunday mornings? Well, prior to coming in those doors, spend some time taking out the trash, the garbage that's in our hearts. Wrap it up, get it out. How do we do that? By confessing those counterfeit gods to which we've given our time, energy, affection. Prior to getting here, so that you can humbly accept God's word. How else can you hear hard things in your life if, if, if all that other stuff is cluttering your heart? It's hard. It's hard for me. Number three, here's a third suggestion. Before you come through those doors, pray about where to sit. Pray about where to sit. And here's why I suggest this. Well, first of all, after pulling into the parking lot, the likelihood is that only a few thoughts come to mind. Will there be good coffee? Will there be hot coffee? Will there be coffee at all? Those are most of the thoughts, to be honest. But one might come to mind, too. Will those last two rows in the back be already taken? Sorry, guys. I love you in the back. That's, that's wonderful. I'm glad you're there. And some of you guys probably thought that, like, oh, man, let me see if I can get that. It's back two rows. Hardly see you guys. But what we do by praying about where to sit is, is it's important on a couple fronts. It, it puts our trust in God, that he has a plan, even for those 90 minutes that we're going to be here, that we're going to be sitting and standing and greeting. He has a plan for us in that. And secondly, it orients our hearts to remember church isn't just about me. Not just about my refreshment, my little telephone booth encounter with God. It's about loving and serving others, isn't it? So if you're someone who serves primarily with your words, through your warmth, your encouragement, your hospitality, your your prayer or your words for others, ask God to help you identify someone who might be relatively new or someone you know is struggling or someone who maybe doesn't look like you. Take that chance. If you're someone who serves with your works, you have gifts of helps or mercy, consider how you might serve others by where you sit. One example might be scooting in and heading down towards the front to leave those edges open for parents of young children so they have easier access to their kids back either in the nursery or kids' ministry when they come out from family worship. You can serve families by scooting forward and moving towards the middle, right? Just one way. Also pray practically. Ask God where to sit in a way that helps you best focus on what he has to say through worship and through the word. I'm just going to admit to you guys, I I sit sometimes occasionally in these side aisles to pray because I'm on the prayer team for that morning, and I am totally distracted. I I have a very hard time focusing when I sit over here. 
God bless you guys. If you're over here, you can focus. God bless you. It's part of my ADD issues I've got. I can't see the screen. I start to look at who's here. I just, I just like, oh, I'm so glad that, you know, I start to think I should talk to that person after the service. That's me by sitting on the, these, these sign aisles, right? So, so Katie and I sit up front. Katie is someone who cares deeply about people coming to know Jesus. And so it's easy, she said for me, she talked to me about this last week, it's easy for her to look around and wonder, man, I hope Sally is receiving this well. What Ryan's, uh, Joe, this, Joe is here. This is perfect, what's being said for her. It, but she's looking at everyone. But as it is, we stand in front so we just can focus forward. That works for us. Pray practically where to sit. So this past Friday, Katie and I celebrated our 16th anniversary. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, you're all surprised that I made it, and she stuck with me. I don't, I don't blame you. So, so that was on Friday, and so I built my week around Friday, which means I started preparing on Thursday for what we were going to do, you know? <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> but I thought, you know, like, what can I do around the house to serve Katie? Where's a place she would love to eat? Afterwards, we talked about wanting to listen to some music, so I had to actually learn the Cayman music scene for the first time in reality. I spilt some ink in writing her a card. I value our marriage, and so I built my week around Friday. Every Sunday, friends, we, we, we really do celebrate an anniversary. Every Sunday, the apostles and the early followers of Jesus, they started meeting on Sundays because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That was, for, for anyone who would believe, that was the day Jesus made life possible for us, for anyone who would trust him. So every Sunday we gather, it's the anniversary of the resurrection. It's a celebration of life. So let's build our week around Sundays, not the other way around, because this is a magnificently different day. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for accepting us as we are through Jesus Christ. We thank you that when we show up on Sundays, we can feel warmth and we can feel welcomed because, Jesus, you're here and your people are welcoming. No matter how we come, no matter what weights are affixed to us, no matter what's dragging us down or what condition we come in, we know we can feel loved. And yet, God, we don't want to stay there. We don't want just to come. We want to come ready, as the word says here, ready to offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe, as your word says. So help us. Help, our, help, our, help us view Sundays differently. Help us be willing to make those practical changes as a result. Because we want to so experience that festal gathering of angels. We want to experience hearing better news than what we've heard throughout the week. We want to experience gather around, gathering around a people of splendor to worship a God full of magnificent splendor. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.